In February of 2008, there was an earthquake in Sichuan, China. It registered at a magnitude of 8.0, and it could be felt a thousand miles away. 69,000 people lost their lives. Now, in the following days and weeks, stories began to emerge. And one of the headlines that caught my eye read like this, Teacher admits leaving pupils behind as he fled Chinese earthquake. So here's the story. In an act of moral foolhardiness, Fan Maishong wrote out on a blog his guiding principle. In matters of life and death, it's every man for himself. When the quake struck, rather than overseeing an orderly evacuation, he just shouted, stay calm, it's an earthquake, and ran for it without looking back to see if his pupils were following. This is a quote from him. He says, I ran towards the stairs so fast that I stumbled and fell as I went. When I reached the center of the football field, I found I was the first to escape. None of my pupils was with me. It turns out when his pupils arrived, they began to ask him, Teacher, why didn't you bring us out? This was his response. I have a very strong sense of self-preservation. I have never been a brave man, and I'm only really concerned about myself. You can't make this stuff up. You know, this man, Fan Maishong, he was hired to do a job, to teach, but he clearly neglected a higher responsibility, a higher duty. And I'll bet when these kids' mothers found him, they made him very sorry. <laughs> now, today's message is called Call of Duty, and it has to do with a story about three people who all had the opportunity to help someone out who was in need. But in fact, only one of those three people stopped to do something and actually fulfill his duty as a servant and follower of Almighty God. So our message is called Call of Duty, and our three points today are attitude, rude, and servitude. And if you have a Bible, you can look in the book of Luke uh, and turn to page, uh, I'm sorry, turn to uh, chapter 10. And if you don't have a Bible, you can just follow along. But again, our, our message today is called Call of Duty, and our three points are attitude, rude, and servitude. So let's pray together. Let's see what God has for us. Dear Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you, Lord, and always you're faithful. And Lord, a long time ago, the Lord Jesus told this story, and many of us know it well. But I pray, Father God, that today we would all hear it in a fresh way. And you would speak to us, Lord. Your Holy Spirit would speak to us through your word. And Lord, I pray I pray you would change every heart that's listening, Lord. I pray if anyone is not sure that they know you, I ask you to open their eyes and that they would know you, Lord, and be, be able to begin a relationship with you. And Lord, for those of us who are believers and, and have that relationship, Lord, that we would be uh, inspired to walk with you even closer and to bring you glory, Lord. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Okay, well, our first point today is attitude. And so our story begins with a lawyer, and he attempts to test Jesus. So he exhibits an attitude of self-righteousness. And for you young people, you may have heard that phrase before, but if you don't know what that means, I'll explain it as we go along. So let's just start in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up 
to put him, meaning Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So right there in verse 25, um, it tells you that it says this lawyer wanted to put Jesus to the test. So he had questionable intent. Now, can you imagine being in the presence of Almighty God and trying to corner him? Then he asked a question. The lawyer asked this, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What a great question. It's actually the greatest question that any of us could ask or should ask. And we should all be trying to find that answer. Well, he asked a great question, but he had a dishonorable motive. And so in his head, he's thinking, you know, Jesus, regardless of what you say, I think I'm a pretty good guy. And so we go on in verse 26. It says, Jesus answered him. It says, he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? The great teacher, the almighty God, the Lord Jesus would not be schooled. So right here in verse 26, he asks, what is written in the law? And one of the things that amazes me about Jesus is he was a master of conversation. Uh, in this case, he answered a question with a question. But it wasn't just any question. He looked at this lawyer and he asked him a question regarding the law. There was other times when Jesus used the same principle. There was a time you might remember when he was speaking to fishermen and he told them, if you will follow me, I will make you fishers of men. There was another time when he was sitting by a well and a lady came to draw some water and Jesus looked at her and he said, you know, you knew who I was, he said, you'd realize I could give you living water and you would never thirst again. So Jesus was a master of conversation, a master at creating curiosity. And in this case, he asked the lawyer a question about the law. Verse 27, and he, the lawyer, answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Now, his reply actually matched something that Jesus had taught before, uh, where Jesus had said, uh, he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So this attorney actually uh, had a correct answer. Um, what he didn't realize was that when Jesus spoke about these two commandments, he was actually summarizing the Ten Commandments. So just briefly, I want you to see the Ten Commandments. And uh, we don't have time to go, to go into this in depth, but I want you to see that the Ten Commandments are actually broken up into two sets of five. The first five have to do with your relationship with God, loving God. The second five, or numbers six through ten, have to do with loving others or loving your neighbor. The first five, when you read them out in their entirety in Exodus chapter 20, you'll see that they're all linked by this phrase. Each one of those five commandments uses the phrase, the Lord your God. And then the second five, number six through ten, are connected by this phrase, you shall not or thou shall not. Now, here's the thing about the Ten Commandments. The purpose of the Ten Commandments is not to reveal to us how good we are. In fact, the purpose of the Ten Commandments is to do the very opposite. 
if we're honest with ourselves, if we measure ourselves by the Ten Commandments, we'll see that actually all of us break all ten of them. None of us loves God and puts Him first all the time. Uh, You might think, well, I've never committed murder. And Jesus clarified that when He came. He said, you think you haven't committed murder, but if you'd wanted revenge in your heart, He said, you've broken that commandment. What about adultery? I haven't committed adultery. And he said, you think you haven't committed adultery. But in fact, if you've lusted in your heart, you've broken that command. The purpose of the Ten Commandments is to reveal to us how holy God is, how unholy we are. And that means we need a Savior. Now, here in this story, Jesus is trying to reveal this truth to this lawyer. But he just doesn't see it. So we pick up in verse 28. And he, Jesus, said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So right there, the first thing Jesus tells him is this. You have answered correctly. Now, I have to stop because I think about this. What did this make the apostle Peter feel like? And here's why I mention this is because the apostle Peter followed Jesus around for three years. And virtually every time Jesus asked a question to the group or to the crowd, Peter was almost always the first one to answer. And as far as I remember, only one time did he get the answer right. Every other time he was wrong. And Jesus had to had to correct him publicly in front of either the the group of apostles or the group of, you know, the crowd, whoever happened to be uh, in attendance. Well, there's Peter hearing this, that here's this lawyer. And uh, Jesus asked the guy one question and the guy nailed the answer. I also want to point out that Christ gave credit when it was due. This lawyer was right. He had the right answer. Even though Jesus knew that the intent of his heart was wrong, he still gave credit where it was due. And another thing Jesus does right there in that same verse, verse 28, he tells him, do this and you will live. Now, remember what we just said about the Ten Commandments. What he's telling him, in effect, is this. He's saying, hey, You've got the right answer. Love God and love your neighbor. And then he looks at him and says, now, do it. Fulfill the two greatest commandments. Or more specifically, fulfill all ten of the commandments. What Jesus was telling him was, you can't do it. Um, We pick up in verse 29. And now the lawyer uh, responds. It says, but he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Let's talk about this for a second, okay? Verse 29 says, desiring to justify himself. That reveals the true motives of this lawyer. He was trying to make himself right before God through his own works. And that is the definition of self-righteousness. He was trying to make himself righteous before God. And like we've said a few times this morning, The commandments of God, and specifically right now we're talking about the Ten Commandments, they don't reveal to us how good we are. If we're honest, they reveal to us how sinful we are. And when we see that, then we realize that we need a Savior. Imagine this lawyer being face-to-face with Jesus. I mean, face-to-face with Almighty God. And meanwhile, Jesus can see his heart. Now, notice how the lawyer uh, tries to dodge the true issue, okay? 
He doesn't even talk about his love for God. The first five commandments, remember those have to do with love for God. He doesn't even talk about that, probably because deep down he knew that he didn't love God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. Instead, he tries to dodge that issue and jump to commandments 6 through 10 about his neighbor. And he asks another question. He says, well, who is my neighbor? Rather than admit his need for a savior, he continues to try to justify himself. Now, this point is very important, what I'm about to make right here. And so I'm hoping you're listening uh, uh, with all your heart. I hope you're listening to this. If you are trusting in the wrong thing, if you are trusting in your goodness, in your good works, if you think somehow you can make yourself right before God, it is the equivalent of looking at Jesus and saying, I don't need a Savior. need to think about that. The Bible tells us there is salvation in no other. In the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 12, it says this. It says, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We are all sinners. We all need a Savior. And His name is Jesus. Now, back in the year 2016, a movie came out called The Finest Hours. And it actually depicts the story behind the Coast Guard's greatest small boat rescue. On February 18, 1952, the Coast Guard rescued a total of 70 men from two T2 tank vessels, the Fort Mercer and the Pendleton, which had both split in two. They were in this raging storm uh, of the coast of Cape Cod. So if you can picture this and, you know, you're looking at it, uh, there was two different ships the same day during the same storm, and they both actually broke in half. And the piece uh, of wreckage was floating. And there were men alive in this piece of wreckage floating in the storm uh, who had virtually no hope at all. The story goes on. The Chatham Lifeboat Station in Massachusetts was alerted to Fort Mercer's situation around mid-morning. And orders were made to launch a motorized lifeboat to save the crew, which was 20 miles offshore. In mid-afternoon... Station's radar picked up the two stricken sections of the Pendleton. A crew of four men rescued 32 men with no radar and no compass. Petty Officer Weber navigated the 36 people on board back to safety. Now, I want you to see and and take a close look at that picture because that's actually the exact type boat that that they used. Um, The rescue boat used that day was designed to carry a crew of six people maximum with a maximum of 10 survivors. That means a maximum of 16 people total. Now, on this day, there were four crew members. And so that means they had room for 12 for twelve uh, survivors of this wreckage. And they kept adding these people off this piece of wreckage and added 30 men, 32 men to their boat for a total of 36. And they all survived. Now, to me, the most amazing part of the story is that the Coast Guard has since that time attempted to replicate placing 36 people on a boat just like this one. It's called a CG 36,500. And they've never been able to put 36 men on a boat that size. That tells me two things. 
Number one, there was a notable miracle that took place to save these men's lives. But the other thing is this. You know they were clinging to each other for dear life. There was no other hope. There was no other hope at all. Now, we've been talking about uh, the commandments and about the Savior. And you see, it works the same way. When you and I measure ourselves against the commandments of God, it reveals to us how sinful we are and how much we need the Savior. Now, I remember when I was 18 years old, that's when this truth became clear to me. And I realized I could not reach God through my goodness or through my own efforts. I could see how sinful I was. And uh, maybe not physically, but for sure spiritually, I dropped down and I clung to Jesus and asked him to save me and put my faith in him because he had died on the cross for all my sins and he had risen from the dead. I knew he was my only hope of salvation. These men on the wreckage of the Pendleton uh, were out there basically hopeless until they saw that Coast Guard rescue boat come up. And somehow all 32 of those men were able to get onto that one small boat, cling to the boat, and cling to each other. And all 36 men survived. Here's the best thing about the Lord Jesus being our Savior is this. When you realize how sinful you are and you put your faith completely in Jesus Christ to save you and you cling to Him, well, even in the times when you feel weak and too weak to cling to Him, He promises He will cling to you. Now that brings us to our second point. Second point today is rude. And so Jesus trying to help this lawyer see his need for the Savior, tells a story about two men who were rude, in fact, beyond rude. Now, the definition of rude is this, offensively impolite or ill-mannered. Jesus tells a story of two different men who see someone in need, and they completely, in an ill-mannered way or in a rude way, right beyond rude, completely ignore this man's need. So we pick up, we're still in Luke chapter 10, verse 30. It says, Jesus replied, a man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, uh, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So let's go back and look at a few of these uh, words and phrases in the story. The first thing Jesus says is there was a man uh, going down. And uh, here's the thing about this man. Jesus doesn't say anything specific about him at all. He could be any man. And that way, in this story, the application can be general. So whatever kind of man you picture, okay, uh, the story would be slightly different for your application. Now, the next thing he mentions in verse 30, he says that this man fell among robbers. And again, nothing specific. It doesn't say if they were his own race or maybe another race or if they were Roman soldiers. All we know is that there were some robbers. Verse 30 also tells us this. They stripped him, they beat him, and they left him half dead. Now, 
It makes sense that they would rob him because they would profit from his money. But the fact that the story goes on to say that they stripped him and beat him and left him half dead shows the cruel nature of these robbers. Verse 31. Now we get to the two guys who are rude. All right. And so we hear this priest and a Levite. Now, let's talk about this for a second. Okay, a priest is one whose job it is to represent God to the people. That is his job. So by his words and by his lifestyle, he's supposed to represent God to the people. Now, a Levite, uh, in case you don't know this, would be someone from the tribe of Levi. And as far as this story goes, here's the most important thing you need to know about Levites. Levites had no possessions of their own in the land of Israel except what was given to them by the other tribes. That means if you were a Levite, your entire life, your entire sustenance came through the hands of other people. So do you see where the story is going? Here's Jesus using these two examples. Two religious people who should be very thankful. You've got a religious priest who's supposed to represent God to the people. And you also have a man from the tribe of Levi who has spent all his life receiving from other people. And both of these men see this man in need and they refuse to help him. God's word is a window and a mirror. And here's what I mean. By window, I mean that the word of God gives us a glimpse into the character of God. But the Word of God is also a mirror that reflects back to us our sinfulness and how fall I'm sorry, how far we fall short of the glory of God. Well, one of the things God tells believers, so we're talking about people who've trusted Christ, right? Clinging to the Savior who Christ lives within you. He says that we are his royal priesthood. I want you to see this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. This is what God says about believers. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So he calls us a royal priesthood. And he tells us our job, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him to others. Now, pay attention to this. If God says that we are his royal priesthood, that means when you and I, and right now I'm assuming you're a believer, but when believers are made aware of a need and we refuse to meet that need, then guess what? In that moment, we become just like that priest and just like that Levite. God reveals a need to us, right? We're like the priest. He calls us a royal priesthood. We're supposed to be representing God to the people. We're also like the Levite, right? Because we've received so much from God. And when God makes a need, uh, makes us aware of a need, and we refuse to do something about it, well, we become just like the priest and the Levite. Uh, who were rude in the story. There's a lot of excuses we can make, right? We can say, but I'm afraid. Or, well, that person has hurt me before. They stung me. I don't like that person. Sometimes, if we're honest, we say that. 
Uh, sometimes if we're really honest, we just come out and say, I don't care. Uh, and the excuse any of us can make anytime is it's inconvenient. You know, a little while ago, um, Marcus was talking about, uh, you know, foster children. Any of us could make that excuse, can't we? All right. Now, here's the deal. Um, we can stop and think, but, you know, we can't help everybody. But the point is this. Are you willing to stop and ask God, Lord, do you want me to help this one? Are you willing to do that much? Proverbs 3, verse 27 says this. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Right? An excuse I hear all the time. But I can't help everybody. I agree with you. You're right. Point is, again, are you willing to stop and say, Lord Jesus, do you want me to help this one in this moment? Because if we're unwilling to do that, like I said, we become like that priest and that Levite. On a daily basis, we have the opportunity to offer kindness or to offer cruelty. Now, one time around the house, I was not feeling so good. I felt like there was a cold coming on. This is years ago, so don't worry. Okay, But I was not feeling so good. And I was in the kitchen, and I told Connie that. And she looks at me, and she says, well, you probably got to take some vitamin C. And so I reached in our medicine cabinet, and I pulled out some vitamin C, and I, I put them in my hand. And, and <laughs> I asked Connie, I said, hey, are these chewable? And she goes, sure. And so I put them in my mouth and took a bite, and they tasted like battery acid. I looked at Connie. I said, I thought you told me these were chewable. And she says, well, they are, but I bet they taste nasty. <laughs> it's not right, y'all. <laughs> All right, so any day we can offer kindness or cruelty. Uh, but the question is, are we willing to stop and ask God, what is it that you want us to do, Lord? <laughs> Which brings us... I'm sorry, this building's not totally empty. So maybe you hear laughter in the background. That sweet music of that woman I married. Now, uh, this brings us to our third point, which is the word servitude. One of the definitions of servitude, because there's several, but one of the definitions of servitude goes like this. The state, I'm sorry. All right, the state of being a slave or completely subject to someone more powerful. I'm going to say that again. The state of being a slave or completely subject to someone more powerful. The priest and Levite refused to help the man in need. But now the most unlikely person voluntarily becomes servant to the man in need. So the story picks up in Luke 10, verse 33. But a Samaritan, and I'm going to explain what that is in a second. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him. He had compassion. So verse 33, but a Samaritan, the story would be awful, except that there's a turning point here, but a Samaritan. So you can tell something good is about to happen. So what is a Samaritan? Simple terms, a Samaritan was a half Jew. And the other thing that's important to know is that a Samaritan was on the lowest rung of the society in those days. The Jews didn't like the Samaritans because they were only half Jewish and they were half Gentile. And the Gentiles didn't like Samaritans because they were only half Gentile. They were half Jews. And the Jews and Gentiles didn't like each other. And so if you were half of both, you were disliked by all. 
Jesus telling the story says that the one who stops to help was on the lowest rung of society. Verse 33 also says this, but a Samaritan, he had compassion. He had something that the religious people did not have, that priest and that Levite. Regardless how they looked on the outside, the Samaritan had compassion on the inside. There's an old saying, people don't care what you know till they know that you care. So if you want to have an impact for Christ, people first have to know that you care about them. And if you're willing to serve them, very often their hearts will open and they'll be willing to hear you. Now, they may not believe what you have to say. They may not like what you have to say. But if you show that love and compassion, it opens their hearts where they're at least willing to hear you out. Jesus had compassion. It's easy to hear this story and just think, well, that's a nice story. But let's direct the question to you specifically. Are you willing to stop and offer need? Uh, offer help when you see someone in need? Um, are you willing to ask God to change you? Let me ask you, do you have compassion? Because if yes, that's great. Then serve the Lord. But if the answer is no, if you're being honest, are you willing to ask God to give you compassion like Christ had? Do you want to be more like Christ? Let's see what the Samaritan does. In verse 34, it says, he, meaning the Samaritan, went to him, right, the victim. And look how many times the word and pops up. And bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, that's money, and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. At face value, this half-Jewish man, the lowest rung of society, uh, went to great lengths to help this victim. But you know what? The story also symbolizes spiritually what Christ has done for every one of us who claims to be a believer. See, if you think about it, we were all robbed by the thief who comes to steal and kill and destroy, right? He did that. The evil one did that to all of us. We were beaten, stripped, and left for dead. In fact, Scripture tells us we were dead in our sins and we were helpless. But then the great Samaritan, right? The rejected one, the Lord Jesus himself, he found us, he healed us, he carried us as he suffered in our place. He paid our debt. He offered us eternal life and riches with him. He actually adopted us into his family and so much more. So the answer to this lawyer's question, well, who is my neighbor? The answer is anybody and everybody. That's the answer. So you can come back to me again and say, but I can't help everyone, right? And we already talked about that. Sure, I agree. I can't help everyone. But what I can do is to stop when God reveals a need to me and just ask, Lord, do you want me to step in and be a part of taking care of this need? Am I willing? Am I willing to ask God to give me that compassion and to change me and to use me in that moment? Now, one thing that Marcus and I and the elders have been talking about over the last several weeks 
since we've been in this quarantine is how well our church family has stepped up uh, and acted uh, just like the Good Samaritan. Um, there have been just stories that we've heard of people praying for each other, contacting each other, cooking meals, delivering meals, uh, asking neighbors if they need help, um, just finding ways to serve one another within our family and within the community. And that's what God's looking for. So, your application. Well, Jesus asked the lawyer this question in Luke 10, verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Trinity Church, I charge you, love God and love your neighbor. Let me pray for you. Dear Lord, I thank you. Long time ago, this lawyer began this conversation with the Lord Jesus. And the conversation went back and forth and led to this story about this good Samaritan. Dear God, I pray you would teach us the lesson from this story, Lord. I pray first for everyone in the family of Trinity that we would all, number one, know you, have a relationship with you, but also Almighty God, that we would love you so much that we would want to reach out to others and not be like the priest and the Levite, but to be like that Samaritan, to be your hands and feet and to have an impact in a world that is far from you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.